Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. What does a biblical approach to ethnic unity look like? Really excited to have a conversation with my friends at the Center for Biblical Unity, Monique Dusan and Krista Bontrager, about this new resource and this important curriculum they've written and these questions that we can help think about from a biblical perspective. So Monique, Krista, thank you guys for stopping by. I know you guys have been teaching um, our students here at Impact 360 Immersion, having some conversations with them. Really excited to have you with us. Hi, thanks for having us. Super glad to be here. Awesome. Well, hey, I want to jump right in. You know, obviously we live in a cultural moment where there's a lot of racial tension, there's confusion, there's uh, both inside and outside the church. And so I know you have a brand new resource that you've worked on uh, on called Reconciled, a biblical approach to ethnic unity. So first, tell me why, why this resource and, and why now? Well, that's a great question. I think that why now is because there is so much tension in our culture. And many people are wondering, well, how do I respond to this as a Christ follower? I I think many Christians are struggling. The culture is totally clear in telling us how to respond to racial issues. But I think that many Christians are confused, you know, what is a biblical perspective on these issues? And I think Christians are confused with how do we participate with one another? It's not even just the question of how do I participate with culture, but how do I participate with someone who may be ethnically different than me? And this is where Reconcile comes in. It talks about our reconciliation in Christ and how we walk out unity. Yeah, that's really helpful. And what I what I love about you two, especially in the ministry that you lead, is that you're you're trying to frame it biblically. And to keep pointing people back to Scripture, you know, one of the things, and I know we've talked about this before, any secular approach to concepts around justice or different things like that are going to inherently fall short because they're not a big enough story to, to explain what needs to be explained or do what needs to happen. And so whether it's well-intentioned or not, it's just not going to get us there. That's why I love that you've written this. So maybe maybe for those who are maybe somehow newer to this conversation, what is, what's kind of the maybe the dominant cultural narrative? How, how would you sum that up and to say, what would that look like to be reconciled? Like, What's that vision? And then we'll contrast that with what you're kind of laying out in this curriculum from a biblical perspective. Yeah, I think culture is very ready right now to tell us to what you hear people say is do the work, read the books, be an ally. There's all of these steps that especially I as a white person am supposed to take to become anti-racist, to establish allyship. Lament your complicity in racism and racist structures. Yeah, and recognizing my role in participating in systemic racism. There's so many works, and I think that many people are very confused. They want to do right things. They want to love their neighbor And the culture is all too ready to tell us what that must look like. Yes, and what I don't think people are realizing is just how short these works fall when compared to what Scripture tells us to do. And 
there also is very limited conversation around the idea or the fact that the works that Scripture puts forward for us to do, like bearing with one another in love, being patient, forgiving— those are works that everyone must do. It's not just works that a certain people group must do. That's really helpful because I know in Scripture it talks about the, the sin of partiality, and we all are capable of, in our sinful hearts, expressing that partiality towards one another. So you have the dominant cultural narrative on one side that's saying, in essence, do this work to make this reconciliation happen, but what you're offering is a different perspective. So how would you come at that topic or idea theologically of reconciliation and how that plays into unity in what you're kind of trying to create with this curriculum? Well, I think that a lot of the conversation is about doing the steps in our culture, but from a biblical perspective, God has a different plan. I like to say that he's offering a better hope, and that is according to Ephesians chapter 2, that those of us who are far from the covenant have now been brought near. So under the old covenant, there were basically two groups of people. There was Jews and Gentiles. Under the new covenant, now there are also two groups of people, those who are in Christ and in Adam. And when you are in Christ, you are a new family. You are a new creation. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are living stones. All of these things that God pronounces over us is his vision for one new people, a new humanity that he's calling out from among the nations that is now supernaturally connected to each other because of the work of Christ. So once I go through that door of salvation, Monique and I might look different on the outside, but we are to no longer regard each other according to the world's definitions. I belong to her and she belongs to me because we truly are family. I'm going to leave that there because that's a, that's a really good answer. And I mean, the only other thing I might add is when we look at 2 Corinthians 5, where it says that we are to regard no one according to that old man anymore. So when we come into Christ, my identity now is as a child of God. I am no longer regarded necessarily by my African-American identity or ethnicity primarily. So I, and you might say this a little differently than I do, but I would say that we leave a certain part of that cultural narrative or understanding as secondary and my identity in Christ is primary. And so because my identity is in Christ is primary as yours, we are now brothers and sisters regardless of skin color and we participate with each other according to kingdom culture as opposed to ethnic culture first. Yeah, and that's a, that's really helpful. And, and some of the conversations that I have or I hear are that people are torn on, okay, well, how do I, I mean, this is how God made me, right? Um, this is my ethnicity or this is my culture. How would you help people think about that question of saying, okay, how do I express maybe my ethnic or cultural expression as a part of being a Christ follower without getting those flip-flops, like making one ultimate, even though the other is important, it's not ultimate, right? How would you practically, how does, what would be some advice you might, might give? Well, I think our culture is very willing to separate us according to our tribes and our tribes being primarily our ethnicity first. When somebody sees me, they're supposed to interact with me as a white person. They interact with Monique as a black woman. And that is what our culture puts forward first. Whereas in the kingdom, in kingdom culture, 
Um, I like to say we are to think about each other as, as if we know Christ in at least three different identities. Our most foundational identity is what I call our creation identity. And so we are created in the image of God. And that is true for all humans in all times and all places. That is the foundation of our dignity, value, and worth. That we are different than the animals and that we have been created to rule and to reign over the creation. We have been created male or female. Our culture is very confused on, on, on that simple idea right now. And then also that getting married and having children, having a family is God's foundation for society. That, that is a critical part of our creation identity as well. Second identity we have is if we're in Christ, we're a child of God. We belong to him. We have been brought near to his covenant promises. And then the third identity we have is maybe our regional identity or our cultural identity. Some might say our ethnic identity. But what's interesting to me is from a biblical perspective, God doesn't seem to comment you know, on people's skin color. Our culture is obsessed with skin color. But God's word, you know, will comment about where someone's from regionally and that kind of thing, uh, Simon the Cyrene or the Ethiopian eunuch or whatever. But whereas we might identify, well, that's a black person. That might be our primary identifier from a scriptural standpoint. seems like culturally they were more into like where people are from and their cultural identity. But all of that, whatever you call it, kind of fades to the background when we see that in Christ there is neither um, now Jew nor Greek, male or female, slave or free, um, barbarian or Scythian, you know, that in Christ something new is happening, that there's a new people being created. Yeah, and and that's really important. And to start theologically there, if we want to think biblically about it, is that's a really important part of the conversation. You know, sometimes people might hear, okay, okay, if we're starting the equation of reconciled of, okay, because I've already been reconciled, now I do this. What I don't think I hear you saying is that won't take effort. But what I think you're saying is we need to make sure we get the order right. Is that kind of the big idea there? Yes. So the big idea is that we have been reconciled where culture or, you know, many churches put forth this idea of racial reconciliation I would say that hearts are what reconciles and our hearts, our sinful hearts first must be reconciled to a holy God. And as our hearts are reconciled to God, then we become family members and our hearts become reconciled one to another. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about keeping the unity. How do we maintain the unity that we have? And so when when we look at, you know, the works, quote unquote, that must be done, it's again, it's something that we all must participate in because it's what I would call the family rules. You know, every household, every family has their own set of, you know, norms that that we abide by. And it's the same in the kingdom. As family members, there are rules that we abide by. And so how do we keep the rules of our house? How do we keep our unity? It's by bearing with one another in love, keeping forgiveness at the forefront, being repentive in our hearts toward the Lord when we do, you know, mess up or sin. And so I would I would um, implore listeners to read all of Ephesians 4 because it's definitely a blueprint to how we keep the unity. 
Yeah, and that's so important, and and that takes effort, right? It's we're gonna mess up, we're gonna we're gonna stub our toe, we might say the wrong thing, we might, you know, be insensitive when we didn't intend to be. Um, sometimes we are insensitive when we intend to be, right? Yeah. So I mean, there's all of that, but rather than kind of okay, we're oh canceled, done, ending the relationship, you know. What I hear you saying is pointing us towards Scripture and Ephesians 4, because of the truth of Ephesians 2, that we're supposed to walk out that unity. Yes. And that takes effort. And that's the piece that I love about this new curriculum that you're, you've developed called Reconciled, because I think it's going to point people back to the Scriptures to say, how does this apply to me? And so the people that are listening right now who, who might be discouraged by by this. They're like, you know, sometimes I don't even know what to say or where to start or how to think about this. What would be a word of encouragement for them? I would say, one, um, come over to the Center for Biblical Unity on Facebook and join the family. So at the Center for Biblical Unity, if you are in Christ, we consider ourselves family and we participate with one another from that position. So that's first and foremost. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. Second, I would say that truth knows no color. So we believe in objective truth. And if there is something called objective truth, that truth is outside of my skin color. And so we can take refuge in scripture because it is objective truth. We can take refuge in the fact that we are family and that we can participate with one another as such. Now, we can talk about how we walk in unity. What are the things that we do to keep in step with one another? How do we bear with one another and go again? But the idea that because I am black, if you are white or if any other, you know, ethnicity, that idea that we might not be reconciled or we might not be family is completely false. Yeah. And that's so important. Yeah. Just to add to that, I think I, what I love about the vision that Monique has in adopting all of this family language is that we don't give up on our family just because we have a hard day, just because somebody makes a mistake. You know, I've been married almost three decades to my husband, and we, we've walked in a lot of life together, but we've made mistakes, but we don't give up on each other. We, we belong to each other. And God has made us family. There is something supernatural that has happened between myself and all true Christians. And we can come and participate with each other. And people can be hard. I mean, it it was not easy when Monique and I first started having conversations. I was impatient with her. She was impatient with me. But we knew at the end of the day that we belonged to each other on some level because we were sisters in the Lord. And we had to keep walking together. And so the reality of Ephesians 2 gets walked out in Ephesians 4. How do we do that with humility, with generous forgiveness, with, you know, participating with each other from a place of kindness, grace, and trying again? Yeah, and that's so, so important and so refreshing and honestly hopeful, right? Because there's so much out there right now that's like, well, even if you try really hard, it still may not ultimately do any good, or you may not even be able to be free from this, right, or that. But but Christ offers a better way where there is hope, there is redemption, there is forgiveness, there is restoration, uh, there is reconciliation lived out in that regard, the way you're talking about it in Ephesians 4. And so that's really encouraging. Right now, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, you're listening to our guests, Monique Dusan and Krista Bontrager from Center for Biblical Unity. We're talking about their brand new 
resource reconciled a biblical approach to ethnic unity. So I'd encourage you to, to check that out. You can go to their website at Center for Biblical Unity. But I want to keep asking a couple more questions here. And I also need to know, hey, when does when does this release? When is it coming out? It drops on July 31st. It is a digital curriculum. It is a six-week curriculum that has um, like a booklet portion, and it also has digital components to it. It has six videos that go along with it. Yeah, that's really helpful. And here's some of the titles. Just um, what is the Ministry of Racial Reconciliation? Who do you think you are? What does it mean to be family? How do we walk in unity? What can we learn from the early church? whose responsibility is racial unity, and there's a lot of other conversations and topics that are brought up in, in the midst of that. So it's going to be such a helpful resource. A couple more questions before we go. And Chris, I know one of the things that I know you helpfully make the distinction on, but I think it would be helpful for our audience, distinguish between gospel and law and why that distinction matters when we think about terms like justice or, or kind of framing this whole conversation, because I know we've talked about this a little bit before, even Monique, when we had the previous conversation on the podcast where we need to define our terms carefully. But, but I think that distinction is really helpful for Christians who are trying to learn how to follow Jesus in this moment. Yeah, I like to look at Matthew 28, 19, and 20. We sometimes call it the Great Commission. And um, when we think about Jesus sending us out as his disciples, that we are to go into all the earth and preach the gospel and baptizing people. And often we stop at verse 19 and we forget about verse 20, which involves teaching people to obey all that Christ has commanded us. And so when we understand the gospel, the gospel is literally means good news. It's the good news of what God has done on our behalf. It is his rescue plan for a sinful humanity. And so it's through the cross and Jesus's burial and resurrection that gives us hope for the new creation. That because Jesus rose from the dead, someday we too will rise. And that is the great message that we invite people into. It is that door that we are inviting them to come through for salvation. And that baptism is that expression of that decision and that belief. But then we have to remember the teaching them to obey all of Christ's commandments part. And that's the part of it that I think so many people forget about. When when Jesus was asked, what are the two greatest commandments? It was love God and love your neighbor. But what we're seeing right now in the church is a conflation of law and gospel. To obey Christ's commands is to love God and love our neighbor. But that's, that's law. Love is law. It is on that side of the equation. To love God and love my neighbor is not the gospel. Now, God's love for me and his rescue plan is the gospel. But my love back to God or to love my neighbor is law. And we have to keep those two things straight. And I'm hearing so many churches now saying things like social justice is the gospel or the gospel is social justice. That is a conflation or a confusion of law and gospel. So first, I have a heart that's transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit because of the Father's rescue plan for me. I have a heart that's changed. Then I'm discipled to obey all of Christ's commands, and I'm learning how to love God and love my neighbor. But even that is defined in Scripture, to love God 
I can look at the first four commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and that tells me how to love God, how to love my neighbors, commandments 5 to 10. I honor my father and mother. I don't lie to my neighbor. I don't covet my neighbor's possessions. And so when we unpack God's law, that is what tells me how to love. And so when we talk about concepts like Monique mentioned a minute ago of forgiveness and and humility and patience and gentleness, these are just other expressions of God's law. And really, they're just a repetition of what God had already told his people in the Old Testament. He's restating it in a transcultural context to go out into all the world. But these are the commands that we need to disciple people into. So justice is a conversation about how does God tell me to love my neighbor? What are those specifics? What are those laws? Yeah, that, that's really, really helpful because, and that's that's why we need to think theologically about this because then that gives us the basis on which to act and engage one another. And that's so important to make those distinctions. You know, Monique, as I think about kind of the Center for Biblical Unity, could you talk a little bit about just the ministry as a whole and kind of why you exist? I know maybe you have the, the hashtag and maybe not only what it is, but also kind of maybe what's coming down down the road for you guys as you kind of think about what God is doing there. Yes. So at the Center for Biblical Unity, our our mission statement, our tagline is one race, one people, one savior. And that is truly what we believe. We believe in a historical Adam and Eve. And so we all share the same, you know, uber old grandparents. And if that is true, and we, we do believe that it is, then we are all related. There is truly only one race. And so we are one race. And it's, again, it's not to take away from culture or ethnic identity at all, but those do sit on the back seat compared to what we receive in Ephesians 2. And we are one people because of the work of Christ. He has made one new humanity, one new people, and we have one Savior. The Center for Biblical Unity was formed essentially with with Krista and I to be a safe place, to be a refuge for people who were being impacted by critical race theory, who were finding themselves injured in the framework, being canceled by their children or, you know, grandchildren, kids who weren't coming home at the holidays because their parents were now, quote unquote, racist. But we also exist to be a battering ram against culture, to say, no, we're we're not going to allow this to come into the church and to pluck people off in the church. We will be a stand, you know, for truth in church. And so we were created with that in mind and to continue to build the family, to continue to, to push the truth of our familial relationship. Yeah. And just to add to that, I think Another component of the ministry is really to ground people biblically on themes related to racial unity and justice. Oh, yeah, I did forget that part. We want people to know um, what the Bible says about these things. And I understand why so many people are getting plucked off by these, these foreign ideologies, because we haven't had good, robust conversations in our pulpits about a biblical vision for racial unity and justice. So we want to provide that and to really help pastors bring that message to their pulpits and to equip and train their their people. Yeah, well, it's so encouraging to see even, you know, as you interact with our students here and as, as your resources and as you kind of publish this new curriculum where you're continuing to drive people back to Scripture. What does God say about who I am and how we're supposed to live out 
our lives together. And that's so encouraging and refreshing and important. So thank you guys for the, the important work that you're doing. And just to remind everybody one more time where they can find access to the resources, the webpage, and the, and the curriculum reconciled. So for the curriculum, go to centerforbiblicalunity.com backslash reconciled. You'll find all of the information for it there. But connect with us on Facebook at Center for Biblical Unity, on Instagram, the same, Center for Biblical Unity, or connect with us on Twitter at biblical underscore unity. Um, Krista does an awesome job at providing all of our educational resources. So all of the educational resources, definitions, and things like that you see are part of of Krista's endeavor along with our academic advisory team. And so we are working together with many PhD people to make sure that the resources we provide are accurate and timely to be able to help lead this conversation. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So I'd definitely encourage everybody to check that out and join the family and be a part of uh, the ministry of Center for Biblical Unity. It's so important. And so, again, check out the resource Reconciled, a Biblical Approach to Ethnic Unity. And let me just encourage you as you're listening to this, obviously at Impact 360, we care about cultivating leaders who follow Jesus and equipping the next generation. And part of the cultural moment in which we live right now this conversation is everywhere. So we need to be helping our kids and the next generation think biblically, have courage around these issues, have compassion, have empathy, have love, and and the right goal in, in terms of engaging one another because it's so important. I am excited about Gen Z and the opportunity that they have to be a force for good and a force for God's kingdom and living out that unity, and that's what we're, we're excited to do here at Impact 360. And so just want to encourage you that we want to partner with you uh, as mom or dad or grandparents or churches to help equip them. So check out the resources we offer at impact360.org. Uh, summer experiences, our fellows, our gap year, our master's experience, whatever that might be, genzlab.com. However we can serve you, I'd encourage you to check that out. And so, but definitely buy that resource Reconciled, a biblical approach to ethnic unity. So Monique and Krista, thank you so much for joining us today and being a part of what we're doing here at Impact 360. Thanks for having us. It's great to be here. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.